Chapter 11 A Vision of His Face They will see His face. Revelation chapter 22, verse 4 It is not that the Apocalypse, or Book of Revelation, as it is more frequently called, was written around A.D. 95-97, to and thus for 1900 years the Christian world has been living in the hope and inspiration of this text of Scripture. The glad cry of the faithful everywhere has been, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. Psalm 17, verse 15. I wish we could see him now. We have had hints of his beauty and little glimpses of his glory, but oh, to behold him. We are greatly indebted to the artists of the world for what they have shown us of their vision of his grandeur. Christ before Pilate was a painting so real that a little girl, when she looked upon it, wanted to be lifted up so she could untie his hands. Hoffman's Christ in the Garden is such a masterpiece that one cannot look upon it without having his emotions stirred to the very depths. Paintings have certainly done their work. They have stirred the imaginations of the people. They have strongly impressed the beauty of his character upon hearts everywhere. They have focused the thoughts of men upon him. They have drawn the Christian nearer to him, and they have done much to stimulate fellowship with him always. Indeed, some people have been won to Christ by simply looking upon them. Count Ziesendorf, founder of the Moravian settlement, said that the deepest impression that was ever made on his life came to him when looking upon a picture of the sufferings of Christ. He saw these words underneath, I did all this for thee, what hast thou done for me? Yet, as valuable as they are, they are not to be relied upon, because they are not ancient enough. The early Christians wanted to avoid any material presentation of a human Christ, and so it is that art as we have it today has passed through certain definite stages. In the earliest age, Christ was presented by the use of symbols. The representation of the fish was to draw attention to him who made men fishers of other men. Matthew chapter 4 verse 19. The drawing of a vine was to draw the attention to him who said, I am the vine. John chapter 15 verse 5. The picture of the cross was supposed to affix the thoughts of the people upon him who was its willing victim. The second stage of art was the use of Old Testament types. In the picture of Moses striking the rock, one could see a representation of Christ who said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. John chapter 7 verse 37. In the sacrifice of Abraham, both the love of God and the gift of his Son and the love of the Son in the gift of himself shine forth. In the three children in the fiery furnace, there is a perfect representation of the Son of God seen in the form of the fourth. Daniel chapter 3 verse 25. In the third stage of art, New Testament allusions were used, and a shepherd became a picture of Christ, who was the Good Shepherd. John chapter 10 verse 11, the Great Shepherd, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20, and the Chief Shepherd, 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 4. In the 8th century, men began to paint his likeness as they imagined it, but it is easy to understand that these representations could not be reliable because every trace of his physical appearance was lost. 
Not a syllable in the Gospels or the Epistles tells us how he looked when he walked upon the earth. Why is this? Surely the disciples had not forgotten his appearance. It may be for several reasons. First, because the first ages of the church were distinctly spiritual, and they would want to avoid anything that would make Christ even seem to be material. Second, they never thought of him after his departure as the afflicted one or the suffering one, but they saw him at the right hand of God in glory, and since they had no power to present a picture of him there, so they had no inclination to present him in his humiliation. Third, because they still felt his presence with them. They had no need to put his face upon canvas. I would a thousand times rather have the picture I carry around with me of Christ, which no artist has ever painted or ever can paint, which I could not describe to you in words even if I had the tongue of an angel. It is far beyond any earthly art. The early disciples must have felt this. Fourth, it may be that because when they saw him after the resurrection, he was so different from what he was before that they could not paint the first picture, and they would not try to paint the second. Yet we do know much about him. It would not have been difficult for the author to tell how Stephen looked. We only have to read Acts chapter 7 verse 55 and verse 60. Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. So it is with Jesus himself. We have had some hints of his beauty in the legends of old. The story of Veronica tells of the handkerchief used to wipe his face as he went to Calvary, upon which the impression of his face was left and which was to be seen as it was unfolded in the presence of Mary his mother. This is a Roman Catholic story and has no foundation in fact. There is also the story of Publius Lentulus, mentioned as the president of the people of Jerusalem, who is said to have written the following to the Roman Senate. There came one among us, tall in stature, beautiful in appearance, his hair wavy and crisp and falling down over his shoulders, his brow broad, smooth, and most serene, his face without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, his nose and mouth faultless, his beard abundant and hazel color like his hair, his eyes prominent and blue, in denunciation terrible, in admonition calm and loving. He was never seen to laugh but often to weep, his hands beautiful to look upon, in speech, grave, reserved, modest. Indeed, he was fairer than all the sons of men. All this is beautiful and interesting as a legend, but it is said that there was no such office as president of the people of Jerusalem to the Roman Senate, and that Publius Lentulus never lived. Why all this absence of Christ in marble and Christ upon the canvas? Why is it that the pen has never described him so that we might reproduce his face? It certainly must all be of God. One reason may be in order that we might know that he belongs to the entire world and not to any race of people in particular. If he were known to be white, the black man might feel that he was not in sympathy with him. 
If he were known to be black, the white man would certainly feel a barrier between them. But as it is, he is Jesus, the light of the world, and the Caucasian, the Mongolian, and the African can all say together, Fade, fade each earthly joy, Jesus is mine. However, there are phrases of Scripture that seem to give us hints that should not be passed by silently. His face set to go to Jerusalem. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He loved this city of Jerusalem, but at the time he went toward it, it was a city of shadows, and every step he took was into the deepening shadow of Calvary's cross. I do not need to describe his going. He was like a conqueror. In the very way he walked the streets of the city and the highway of the land he loved, he was filled with courage, and when he beheld the city, he wept over it. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Take this as a picture, and there is nothing finer in art. Take it as a sentiment, and there is nothing deeper in human emotion. Take it as a revelation of God, and no one needs to be afraid of Him. Philosophy may speculate about Him and try to reconcile His two natures. Theologians may attempt to define Him as being infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. But the common man grows confused, and all that he can say is that the one to whom he has given his soul is the Son of God, who was divine enough to go to Jerusalem in the very face of death, and human enough to be blinded with his tears as he looked upon the city. He knew all about the suffering of Jerusalem from all eternity, yet he went on. When he ate the Passover, and spoke of the one who would betray him, he knew what was coming, and he still went on. When Pilate mocked him, he knew it was only the foreshadowing of the sufferings of the cross, but still he went on. When he endured the pain of the scourging, he knew that this was only the beginning of agony with which the pain of the cross was not to be compared, because it was so great, yet he went on. The world has never seen such a conqueror as the Son of God, who died so that we might live. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 His face in the dust Scripture Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved, to the point of death. Remain here, and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 39. We read in Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, that when they had sung a hymn, they went out. How simple! yet how profound the meaning. There had never been such a going out before, and there never has been such a going out since. From the supper, he made his way with the faithful few to Gethsemane, where the agony was so great that Gethsemane has stood for suffering ever since. 
My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. I wonder what the reason was for such a cry. Someone has said it was because he was about to be branded as a sinner, treated as a sinner, and put to death as a sinner, and it was his horror of sin that squeezed the cry from his soul. Yet we have trifled with it and sin has always been the same. It still is today and will be until the end of time. Dr. Gregg tells of a story in Fox's Book of Martyrs, where a Christian was to die a most horrible death. He was to be placed in a sack that was nearly completely filled with venomous reptiles. As he looked at it, he said, I can stand this for Jesus' sake. Yet when they put him in the sack and he felt the first touch of the reptiles upon his face, he gave a shriek of agony that could not be described. It is said that no one ever really knows what prayer is until he learns by the Spirit to put into practice this one offered in Gethsemane. It is not the kind that is offered to the congregation or that is said at the bedside before we close our eyes in sleep. It is the kind that is crushed out of us. It is the cry of the Syrophoenician woman, My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Matthew chapter 15, verse 22. It is the cry of Jesus in Gethsemane. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. You say, what? His father? And he had all his suffering? Yes, he was his father still, and yours also. In the midst of an agony that may have almost broken your heart, you might have cried, My father! When there was not any hope in your life, you might have whispered, My father! And if the cry had come from the heart, you would have gotten as quick a response. Cease striving and know that I am God. Psalm 46, verse 10. His face spit upon. But there is still another picture of his face in the New Testament. Scripture. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists, and others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? Matthew chapter 26, verses 62 through 68. Have you noticed how quiet he was during all the mocking and the scourging? It must have been because of the Gethsemane experience. There are scenes in our lives that make talk a sacrilege. When you came back from following your child to the grave, or after you reached your home after being at the newly made grave of your mother, not a word was spoken. The house was as still as the tomb where they rested. A night with God would have the same effect. They may spit upon him, 
and strike him, but he does not feel it, for while he walks the earth he lives in heaven. Paul found this out. Scripture I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2-4 through Yet in fact, Paul was lying at the gate of Lystra. People thought he was dead. His back was bleeding. His whole body was bruised. It is a possible thing for us to be transfigured by the power of God and to become insensible to every earthly experience. Just as when the hellhounds were let loose against Jesus himself and they smote him and spit upon him, they never touched him. His face hereafter. We have hints as to what he is to be like in the hereafter. For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. We are told how he will appear to the sinner. Scripture. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Revelation chapter 6, verse 17. There was a time when they covered his face as they smote him. Scripture. Some began to spit at him, and to blindfold him, and to beat him with their fists, and to say to him, Prophesy. And the officers received him with slaps in the face. Mark chapter 14, verse 65. But not now. His eyes pierce right through his beholders, and their unforgiven sins pass by in terrible procession. Hear the cry of the lost soul. Scripture. They said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. This passage gives another touch to the picture, and what a change there is. Once there was in that face that which brought little children to him and made women love him. Now the very earth and the heavens have fled away from him. Scripture For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12 God's words are always true. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Matthew chapter 11, verse 15. We are told just a little as to how he will appear to the saint. Scripture For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Psalm 16, verses 10-11 We have hints of this joy here. 
We have felt this pleasure because of His fellowship in this world. We have had these experiences, which have been like single notes dropped from the songs of heaven. But they will be gathered all together there in one grand anthem of praise, and we will be filled with the peace of God forevermore. We will see Him. We also have some hints as to how this vision will affect us when we see Him. John said, I fell at His feet like a dead man. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. It is supposed that the vision was so startling and the face was so sublime that just as people in this world are overpowered because of some wonderful experience, so John fell before him in the skies. The transfiguration scene is another representation. Scripture Six days later Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. Peter said, Let us live here forever. In this, he was simply expressing the longing of every Christian heart that beat after his, and what Peter longed for, God has promised to give us. Jesus at the Transfiguration is an exact picture of Jesus as he stands in glory and as we will see him in eternity.